promotions. It's time for Hawk Central. From the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO, Des Moines Sports Station. All right, guys, welcome to this week's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register here on 1460 KXNO. Of course, Ross is off today, and Chad Leistico is off as well. He had a family thing that he had to be at tonight, so I'm here with Mark Emmert. Mark, uh, welcome to the program today. It's good to be here with you, buddy. Yeah, you too, sir. Um, We do have a special guest here this week on Hawk Central, an Iowa defensive coordinator. Phil Parker joins us. Coach, welcome to the Hawk Central here tonight. How are you today? Hey, welcome. Doing good. Um, doing some traveling right now, recruiting, and uh, going to be jumping on a plane here shortly. That's fantastic. I know that. Um, I know you guys can't comment specific really on recruiting and stuff, but how how is the trail going? I assume you're you're hard at work on 2019. Yeah, I think uh, it's going really well. You know, it's a different time of, of the year where things have changed in college football where a lot of these guys now can visit and uh, your campus in, in June and in May and June. So, you know, it's a challenge right now. They're speeding up the process. I don't know if it's good for college football, and I don't think it's good for the kids, but that's the way it is. But definitely we're having a good, you know, everybody's out there working hard trying to get up some players to come to Iowa. Uh, Coach, I got one more for you, and then I'll, I'll throw it to Mark Emmer from the Des Moines Register. And I, I just think it's—it's uh, super. I think your career is super interesting as long as you've been with Kirk Ferentz. I always think of assistant coaches, you know, in college football specifically, is they they hop around a lot, a lot, right? I mean, it just it just happens. It's kind of a nature of the business. But you've been there for going on two decades, right? Why why is that? And can you just talk us through that? Well, you know, I think uh, when I first came here back in 99, my biggest goal was, you know, when you have kids and you're growing them up and you want them to go through the same school system, which I had an opportunity to do that. My daughter's graduating this uh, Saturday. So it was been a pleasure for them guys to go through school. You know, there's other opportunities. I think you got to make decisions what's best for your family. Um, you know, I've been very fortunate and lucky to, to be on coaching staff and, you know, you got to make sure you're working with the right people. And, you know, working with Kirk is, is, is very special. It's been great. Sometimes I'm sure that he wish I wasn't here at times. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, it's just it's a pleasure to work. Who you're working for. You know, a lot of guys jump, jump jobs and stuff for different reasons or get fired and got to move on. But I've been very fortunate in my career, and, and I, I'm supposed to be here at Iowa, and, our family loves Iowa City, so it's been great for us. That's a great segue, Phil, because I actually want to talk to you a little bit about your coaching philosophy. Uh, I was interviewing Matt Bowen earlier this year about actually about Josh Jackson, but he talked about uh, your first year that it was his senior year and, and that first workout he had with you. Uh, let me read this quote he said. He said, that workout was hard as heck, and it was all technique-based. Your pedal, your stance, eyes, footwork, angle to the ball, that's still Iowa football. That's why they compete. That's why they win. Is that still kind of an accurate summary of your approach to coaching defensive backs, or, or have you changed over the years, or what, what's your reaction to no, that? No, I mean it's all it's it's all about technique, and you know whether it's any position, you, you, it's all about technique, and it's been preaching that since you know it's in college, and you know started at Toledo, and you know the twenty years going on twenty years here, and I think it's very important. I think guys get away from it. Some guys talk about schemes and and stuff like that, but 
There's, I think there's ways to do things, and, you know, everybody has their different techniques, but I believe in what I do, and and everybody has their own way of doing things. But I think, it, you know, it really helps you to have the edge. And then, obviously, you got to teach them the game of football, too, you know, of what to look for, you know, formation-wise and, you know, personnel in the game. So there's a lot of things going on, not only besides technique, but you definitely better be have your technique or you don't have a chance. Well, there's been a lot of rule changes in those 20 years, um, and it seems like they always favor the offense. I assume that's that's your impression too. The favor the every rules favor the offense. I mean, we all know that. That's just the way it goes. Defensive, <laughs> every defensive, defensive guy says that. Defensive coaches don't live as long as offensive guys. Do a study on it. <laughs> Ten year difference. So, we got to worry about everything. They don't have to worry about everything. <laughs> well, what's the one rule change that you would like to have back? If you went back and just said, "Boy, that was egregious," can they can we flip that one back? What was the what was the question again? I'm sorry. What's the one rule change you'd like to see them switch back? Of anything that's changed in the last twenty years? Well, I, I, this is this is the one thing that I, they said they changed a long time ago. But back in the '80s, I just don't remember the offensive linemen going downfield at all, not a yard, hmm. not a half a yard. Uh, when they go to three, I think, you know, that's where their max is. I think it's deceiving to the defensive backs that, or the linebackers that want to try to come up and support the run. Uh, they give them six because they can't tell the difference between three and six. So it's, <laughs> that's the thing I think is really uh, a challenge for college football all over, it's the, the RPOs as they call it. And I just think if they would be a little bit more clear on, you know, hey, they can't go downfield on, on pass plays, you know. And that's yeah. one rule that I would love to change. And then obviously the, you know, the tackling uh, targeting is sometimes, you know, you you got to be very careful in how you teach guys how to tackle. How has that yeah. changed, Coach, with the, the targeting? I mean, you – we, we, we've already chronicled how long you've been there in Iowa, but how, how do you, when they get to you, they've been playing football for so long, how do you change that in their minds? Well, you, you, there's different angles, and, you know, they got these things now. you got roll tackle and all that. It's always been in the game anyways. Um, it was kind of funny. Everybody goes around and sells these little tubes that you roll on and you tackle them. But I remember going back and watching uh, in the summer Chad Greenway playing Minnesota, and it was the same tackle. It was a roll tackle. We were doing it. You know, everybody does it. They just invented a new thing that helped, you know, better technique of it to do it. But really what the whole point of it is, you got to keep your eyes up, got to hit them square. And I always believe you got to hit them with the chest. And and I still teach that today. So it's not about putting your head down. You put your head down, you're going to get knocked out. You're going to cause concussion or you're going to, you know, straight from damage to the other opponent. Yeah. Uh, Phil, you were down in Dallas with, with Josh Jackson. I know uh, one of the experience for you. I mean, first of all, did you try to outdress Josh, or did you just let him have his day? Pardon me? Did you try to outdress did, Josh Jackson when you were down there, or did you just let him have his day? No, you know, Josh, it's hard. He's, he's probably coming a little bit more cash than I have. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> what was that like for you, though, to, to be down there with him? Well, I thought it was great. I, you know, obviously we're disappointed that he didn't go in the first round. 
but I think he went to a great organization with the Green Bay Packers. I think it's a good fit. Um, the one thing about him, he's, he's humble, and he's going to work hard at it. And from my understanding, just here listening to some guys and that know some guys on the staff, obviously we got some coaches up there from Iowa that he's he's had a pretty good couple days when he was up there there in camp. Coach, I thought that um, I thought Josie Jewell ended up in one of the best positions in the entire NFL draft. Let me tell you why. Uh, it's a first of all, Denver is a defensive type of program. You know what they're running there, but he's going to be behind one of the best defensive lines in the entire NFL. Probably the best defensive line in the NFL with him getting Chubb as well, going with Von Miller. How does Josie fit in? There and how do you see his professional career getting off to a start? I just think it's a great fit. I, I, I do too. It's obviously it's always good to have guys up front that can play well, and I'm sure Joseph's going to fit in well there. He, he, he's a quick learner, um, and obviously he knows how to find the ball. And when you got them four, they got to figure out how they're going to block those four. So there's going to be some double teams somewhere, and that you're going to have him, you know, free to the ball. So. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing his progress, and I'm happy for him. It, it's a perfect fit, but I think for him. And now you got to replace him. Uh, so uh, let's talk about your current team. Uh, obviously, Imani Jones looked like he had kind of the perfect spring for what you were looking for on that position. I guess how comfortable are you with him right now, replacing Josie Jewell? Uh, you know, it, obviously the experience that Josie has compared to uh, Imani Jones is, is quite a big difference, but. I, I do like his enthusiasm. He's a guy that's very hungry. He's uh, always around the building, always trying to get better. So we're really excited. You know, obviously there's things he needs to work on, and everybody does. But I think he's he, he's a guy to me that really has the juice for us in the middle. You always need somebody in the middle to do that. And right now he's at the top of the list going into fall camp. Give me one thing he needs to work on. I think he has to work a little bit more on pass coverage, you know, actually knowing where to drop, you know, understanding, you know. I think he, he, he does, once he knows where he's going, I think he does a really good job. But I think sometimes, you know, he's always trying to, you know, attack the run a little bit too much. And I think the more he gets looks at it, he'll see it, and, and he'll do a better job in the pass coverage. Coach, um, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of Anthony Nelson. He just he screams to me. This is like a buzzword in football, but like upside, right? Because of that body type, Epinesa gets yeah. a lot of the talk. But I, I I think Nelson maybe doesn't get enough play. Uh, what you know? What's a what's a realistic like ceiling for what that young man could eventually be there at Iowa and in the pros? Well, I I I, I tell you, let's don't push him too fast. <laughs> you know, I think he's 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 really done a good job. You know, he's got his body weighed up. I think to two seventy five. And and he and he didn't lose any speed, so uh, we're happy with that. And I think he's just going to get better every day. And obviously, I think he really did a great job doing the spring. Mark, you got so anything else for a, coach? I maybe one more. Yeah, have you ever had a pair of uh, pass rushing defensive ends with the talent or the uh, stealing, I guess, of uh, Anthony Nelson and AJ Epinesa? Have we had some? Well, you know, you, you go back and and if you remember, we had. Claiborne and Ballard, and so them guys were a little bit more thicker, and and they were a little bit heavier. Maybe not as tall, you know, but I think they they mm-hmm. had some good quick twitch and explosion too. Gotcha. All right, Coach. Well, we right. know you got to take a 
flight, so get back safely, and we, we appreciate your time here tonight on Hawk Central. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, Thanks. Go Hawks. Thanks, Coach. Uh, Phil Parker, Iowa defensive coordinator here on Hawk Central, 1460 KXNO. How did I do, Mark? Did I blend in all right? Did yeah, I do all right? Yeah, you, you, you were ready. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know about the Hawkeyes, and you let on. <laughs> well, I do. I mean, I watch all the games a couple of times, and it's just, you know, I, I publish Cyclone Fanatics, so there's this stigma out there that I don't – I don't watch or know anything other than Iowa State. I meant that. I I mean that about Anthony Nelson too. I've had that conversation yeah. with Ross before. I know Epinesa was the the highly touted kid. He um, yeah. he's kind of the sexy prospect that everybody wanted to see. But man, Nelson and I admittedly know a little bit more about him because he was once an Iowa State commit. But I also saw him growing yeah. up here in Waukee, and it's just like man, right. if he ever yep. fully grows into that body, how good could he be? Right, and his dad played too, and. Uh... I mean, I, I know Phil didn't want us to push him to the pros too early, but he's going to have a chance, I think, after this year, if he keeps playing the way he has, uh, to go early uh, into the NFL draft. Because, uh, I mean, pass rushing is all the rage right now, right? Behind quarterbacks, probably the next most important position the teams are looking for is guys that can get to the quarterback, and uh, he certainly can do that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, and I think that, um, I don't know, when I watched – the draft and how that played out. Did did you agree with my take on Josie Jewell? Because yeah, just... I mean the Broncos obviously they're built on defense and uh, that that three four scheme too. Going to give him a couple chances to play inside. Yeah, I think that's the. Uh, and plus, I think he, I guess he grew up as a fan of the Broncos. I didn't know that about him, but that was somebody tell me that really team growing up. Huh? Yeah, I had. Uh, I would assume it was the Vikings based on where he lived, but uh, but no, I'm told it's the Broncos, and obviously it is now. So yeah, I think that's a that's a great spot for him. He could be. I think he could be, have a really just solid eight to ten year pro career. Honestly. Interesting. Yeah, we didn't get to talk to coach about it because I, I know he's got a he had to get on a flight and we only had him for for a few minutes here. I am curious what you're hearing about Brandon Snyder at this point. Do you know how he's doing? Yeah. Well, he actually it's interesting because they had a uh, Hawkeyes had a little youth clinic in Johnston uh, over the weekend, and I went to that. And Brandon was one of the guys that was there, kind of putting the kids through the drills and. The only thing he had on his knee was like a like a regular bandage, like just like a little like if you cut yourself shaving or whatever. It was just a, kind of a weird little bandage. So it looks like he's close to being back to 100 um, percent after those knee surgeries. Uh, the only thing I wonder now is, is has he lost his job because you know Jake Gervas stepped in and looked really good by the end of the year. Amani Hooker looks like an absolute star in the making. They're really high on Geno Stone, the sophomore who got some time last year, and then their top recruit coming in is a safety, Dallas Kratis. So. That's a really crowded position, and yeah, I kind of wanted to get his thoughts on that. Like, how are you going to play five safeties? You can't really do that because he uh, doesn't like to mix that many guys in at that position. So, I think that's why they keep hinting that maybe one of those guys is going to come down and be a and be an outside linebacker in certain situations, and maybe that'll be Hooker. Or, or I, mean, I can't imagine that they'd make Snyder do that since he hasn't put the weight on or whatever. But uh, he's going to be a really interesting case study because you know they say you never lose your job because of injury. Uh, and he may be a case where maybe he did. Uh, the, those guys look really good. Who would have yeah. thought like a year, a good player? Who would have thought like a year and a half ago that we could even have this conversation? Yeah, I know they seem set there, uh, and uh, well, things just changed in a hurry with those injuries and other guys emerging. And then the way they recruit now, they're recruiting defensive backs really heavily. They're getting a, a lot of those guys coming in, so they're going to have to find opportunities for those kids beyond special teams. I think so. Uh, I know Brandon's got one year left. He's still considered like one of the top leaders in that team. I know everybody that I talk to raves about you know what he does in the film room and how he helps other young guys prepare and see things. So I'm sure he's going to have kind of a quasi coaching role at least. I mean, I'm not saying he's not going to play. I just it's going to be interesting to see how they use him 
uh, after those injuries. Yeah, definitely. All right, that's good stuff. Mark Emmer, um, Williams here. I'm hosting Hawk Central today. Chad Lysico, is it a family deal? Yeah, it's funny. Uh, and then Ross is Ross has a speaking engagement tonight. Oh, get out. Yeah, he's speaking. Uh, Ross is speaking at a Salvation Army fundraiser. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, good for him. It's a, it's a worthy cause, obviously. I hear you were, you were in town at the Derby. You were watching the Derby out at Meadows, right? I was. I heard you were up there, too. I just I didn't get around to... Uh, Getting up to to your level, obviously, I was down there mingling with the with the real people. But uh, how'd you if do? I had won, I was going to come up. I was definitely going to come up if I'd won. You know, I did. I won two races at the Meadows. I was betting races at the Meadows and won those. But so I decided to go big on the Derby, and uh, I did an exacto with uh, with the uh, five and the seven, and uh, obviously uh, the seven won, but the five finished third. So I was so close oh. getting that exacto. Oh. That would have changed everything. That yeah, would have been up there buying you guys cigars. <laughs> Beers, probably I, a hotel room there in the night. Liar. Yeah. Birch would have <laughs> Birch would have made you leave and you guys probably would have gone to Good Sons. I know I know how you guys work. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. All right. Sorry. Uh we got more Hawk Central coming up. Um we're gonna talk a little bit about the Cyhawk rivalry. And uh definitely want to pick your brain on this. Yep. Yeah. So Mark's gonna ask me some questions about that. And then I I, I kinda wanna run through some Big Ten win totals with you, too, Mark. Sure. That's okay. Yep. The win totals came yep. out. And then we're, we're talking some Hawkeye yep. baseball as well um, coming up in segment number three. So that's all coming up. It's Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register here on 1460 KXNO. It's Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO. All right, guys. Welcome back. No Chad Lystico tonight. No Ross Peterson. It's just me hanging out with Mark Emmert. Uh, good guy who I'm glad to be here with for the next 35 minutes or so. All right, uh, Mark, before we get to the Cyhawk stuff that you wanted to discuss, I want to run – I got a few win-loss totals in Vegas that I got to run by you, okay? Yeah, let's do it. All right, because um, there's a couple of teams here, especially when I look at Iowa's schedule, that I don't have a great read on yet. Uh, the first one is Minnesota. Minnesota's win-loss number is at six. What a – I mean, what are you expecting in year two of P.J. Fleck? Is this like a uh, a Matt Campbell at Iowa State jump from one to two, or is this a deal that may take a little longer? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, first of all, he's got to find a quarterback. That's, I mean, yeah. I don't think they even have that yet, and obviously Matt Campbell did have that. And actually had like three good players right at quarterback. So I don't see it, honestly. I just uh, I know they, they've been out recruiting heavy, and obviously that guy's very energetic and excited about his team, but I am not sold on him, I'll tell you this. I am surprised that their win to loss total uh, is higher than uh, Purdue's because that's, that's a team I am very high on. Wow, really? That's probably the biggest, the biggest surprise to me was uh, how low Purdue was. Yeah, Purdue. Uh, for those listeners questioning, they come in at five, and and Brom is a. I mean, he's a guy. He's not like real. Him. He's not real. Not a real sexy name because of where he came from and the fact that he's in. Mm-hmm. At Purdue, but he is a guy who, if you talk to any like football guy, they love him. Yeah, yeah, and he uh, he brought a team into Kinnick last year that wasn't I don't think was a great team, but they were on the rise and uh, they took it to Iowa. I mean, they beat him. You know, I think Iowa might overlook them a little bit, but uh, the guy can coach. I mean, the guy can scheme it, and uh, we've seen it now. And uh, I, I, like I said, I would easily flip those two totals and maybe even put Purdue a little higher. I think that's the bigger challenge for. For Iowa this year is having to go into, into West Lafayette more so than Minneapolis. 
Uh, Iowa has a road trip to Northwestern. Northwestern's win-loss total is 7.5. That, that's the same as Iowa's. I'm a big um, Fitzpatrick guy. I think he's, I think yep. he's great. Uh, however, that I don't know. Talent-wise, I think anytime you put Northwestern over seven and a half, over seven wins, that that makes me wonder a little bit. I thought that one seemed a smidge high. What did you think on Northwestern? No, yeah, honestly, I think that's about right. They, it just seems like they find a way to get that done every year, and I think uh, you know they're playing that same Big Ten West schedule, at least that Iowa has. Uh, so they're going to be able to take Illinois. Minnesota, I think Nebraska is not that good. Honestly, I'm not sold on that at all yet. And uh, you know they get uh, they got to come to Kinnick, of course. So I think uh, I, I think that's about right. Honestly, I think that's that's a good call for big. Okay, uh, let's just go to that Nebraska team that you just mentioned. They have a brutal schedule, mm-hmm. and I actually have a question on this. Yeah, how does the Big Ten do the crossover schedules? Is there like a systematic way of doing this? Because Nebraska plays Ohio State, it seems like every year. Do you know yeah, how that works? There's one protected rival for each East-West, and for Iowa, it's Penn State. You see, they play them every year. At least for six years, they're gonna they're gonna play the same team every year. Plus okay, they'll mix in two others. So, so Nebraska does get Ohio State, which is a bad break for them. I think the Big Ten was probably expecting them to be better, and thought that would be a sexy matchup every year. And of course, <laughs> the way those two programs have gone, it's a little more one-sided than probably they would have thought. But uh, but yes, that is the that is the philosophy that uh, every every East team and West team there's one that they kind of pair up. Uh, every year, at least for six years. Now, I'm not sure it's going to stay forever that way, but uh, that is a that is why I would play Penn State every year too. That is an absolutely horrible rule. I, I, it's kind of weird. Yeah, I mean, so like, who who the hell does Illinois get? Like, you, you know oh, what I mean? I, I that's like that's probably just, Rutgers or something. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. Like, this yeah. is like back in the day when interleague play, and like my Braves would have to always play the Yankees and the Red Sox when. When the other teams in the NL East were getting the Tampa Bay Rays, you know what I mean? Like this uh, is right, right. I, I, I can even an Iowa fan, and Iowa has the benefit yeah. of not having to play like Michigan and Ohio State this year. But I could stand up and scream if I'm an Iowa fan because I have to play James Franklin and Penn State every year yeah. when teams in my Maybe own division are getting Rutgers. Absolutely, yeah. I think that is true. That I'm mean, not sure that. Uh... You'd want either Iowa, Ohio State, or Penn State as kind of your permanent uh, matchup there, and, uh, and uh, I can't remember now who Wisconsin has if they get Michigan, maybe. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think they're trying to they're trying to pair the teams by kind of prestige or what they perceive as their talent level, so they they get even matchups, and so the kind of the lesser teams can play the lesser teams on each side, and the, and the more marquee teams face each other, and uh, it does uh, obviously create a question of competitive balance. Yeah, but, I just uh, you know it is what it is. So. I I get why like television wise you would want to do it that way. It yeah, makes... I think that's, I'm sure that's a big part of it too. You're right. Good yeah. Point. yeah, but think about if yeah, you're those nighttime games. Think about if you're Mike Riley, and like you come and you're <laughs> trying to like build Nebraska back up to what it once was, which is impossible right. in my opinion. But that's what the people there expect, and you're exactly. you're getting handed, you know, tough non conference schedules that you didn't even create. And you have to play Ohio State every year, while you know teams in your own. I, I it just seems really uneven to me, and it it makes it hard for to really analyze the league too much because it's like the crossover schedule means everything in the Big Ten as far as especially in that West division. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right because uh, I think Wisconsin's got a really enough tough schedule again this year. Even though I think they're going to be the best team in the West, I would say that you know, going into the season. It's the, like what it was two years ago. 
where they got the, they got the, all the heavyweights on their schedule again. That's, uh, that makes a big difference, and that's why I think Ohio, I mean, Iowa has a much better chance this year of winning that West because they've got a better schedule. Yeah, and they get Wisconsin here. So Wisconsin gets um, their numbers at ten. That seems really high. I'm not saying they can't get to it. Um, yeah, that is. And then the one that I, you know, I'm really interested in Michigan right now too. To yeah. be honest with you, because eight and a half. I mean, he's kind of in like a spot where Scott Frost is going to be in here before too long. Yep. It's just crazy to say, considering he's never even coached a game. But when you're in a program like that, your expectations are so high. If he hits the under there, like Harbaugh, like the heat turns up, right? I agree. I think the shine is kind of coming off him already. I mean, I, I think it's, that he has not really – I mean, he hasn't beaten anybody of note since he's been there. Um, and uh, obviously they, they talk big and they recruit well and it's all – but right now it's been all bluster and no real substance to show for it. And I think you're right. I think he's got to win this year or – People are going to start to wonder if this guy is, even, is a fraud. I mean, he never lasts very long at any one place he's been at anyway. So uh, it just kind of makes me wonder, does he have staying power? And, uh, and, and in Michigan, he hasn't really even built it up yet. So it, it's curious to me. Like, I, was, I was all excited about him two years ago. He's a fun guy. You know, he's kind of quirky, and he says what's on his mind, and he does weird things. And it's kind of refreshing in the Big Ten. You know, it's kind of a button-down league to have somebody like that. But now I'm starting to think, this guy may just be not a right fit at all. Five one five two eight four five nine six six. We do have a call. Mark wants to talk about this uh, crossover schedule thing. Hey, Mark, welcome to Hawk Central. Hey, thanks. Hey, so I know it's hard to keep track of as the divisions change and all that, but I didn't realize. So is Iowa forever going to play Penn State every year, or maybe not forever, but in the foreseeable future? Is that what I heard, Mark? Yeah. That what you said? Yeah, I think it's, it's six straight years that they got them on their schedule, and that's that's consistent with you know every team has one crossover that's the same. And they haven't scheduled out farther than that, so I'm not sure if they're going to keep it that way. You know, if, it's going to, if six is going to turn into eight and eight's going to turn into ten, or if they're going to cut it off after six and find somebody else or do something differently. But for now, yeah, it's Iowa Penn okay, State. Then, it's basically a rival. And then, and then the other two cross division rivals, one plays changes every year, then or yeah. at least maybe every two years or something. They like both that. change. Yeah, they they kind of rotate those through. So you should see every team. You should see uh, somebody every three years. Okay, there's, there's, there's two other wow. teams you play in, out of the six. Yeah, so uh, this year it's uh, what is it, Maryland and Indiana? Yeah, um, so that's what I, they haven't played Indiana in a while. I know that Maryland was a couple of years ago, right? So I think that sounds about right. Yeah, so they missed. They Michigan, played Indiana Michigan, in two thousand. They played Indiana in two thousand fifteen at Bloomington. Okay, so it's um, been three years over yep. there. Yep, yep. Well, yep. that's interesting. I had not picked up on that. So thank you. Yeah. No problem. Thanks for the call. Indiana's numbers at five and a half. They just got that grad transfer quarterback from Arizona. Mm -hmm. I feel like he's a nice little player. I mean, he's got like a Heisman Trophy guy or contender who took his job. What do you think generally of grad transfer quarterbacks? Is that, I mean, that just seems like something you got to pick up really in a hurry to to be of any benefit at all, right? I just think it. Some new teammates, a new league. Yeah, I don't know enough about the systems. I I think it's all about the system. I mean, it, yeah. I do feel like the way that Tate played, I don't know a lot about this kid, but what I mean, what's Indiana doing? I'm not. I'm not gonna lie, Mark. I haven't sat around and watched a lot of Indiana football lately. Like, what's their yeah. mo right now? Well, they've typically been good at offense and not at defense. Okay, that's but what I thought. Their downfall they, they couldn't they couldn't defend anybody and didn't really even try. I don't think they were trying to just outscore everybody, but. Uh, what they got now is they got Wilson. They got a coach that's, that's a longtime high school coach in Indiana, um, and has had a lot of success there. So he is able to kind of tap into that that pipeline of uh, Indiana kids. 
Um, so they're pretty excited about that. I just don't think there's much of a ceiling there. First of all, I mean, I've lived in Indiana for I don't know, seven years or whatever, and no one really cares about Indiana football. It's all basketball. So that's kind of like Kentucky or, you know, name your college basketball powerhouse. Uh, so they just kind of get under the radar. It's really kind of a small stadium. It's beautiful on campus, but it's just, it's just not a priority there at all. So it's tough to get any traction there in terms of building up anything of substance. I mean, if the guy did, he would be gone in two years. He, you know, he's able to get to a, a big bowl game, which I don't see is going to happen. So their ceiling probably is six wins, seven wins, just to get to a bowl game and say we we went. I just don't see them ever being a contender, especially you, in the Big Ten East. I mean, yeah. look at who they got to play every year. Do you think Brom will That's be tough. at Purdue for a while? I, you know, he he sure sounds like he will be. I mean, he, I saw. I don't know if you saw his quote yesterday. He was talking about how uh, you know they go out recruiting players and tell them, you know, you got to come here, and choose us over, you know, Miami and you know Ohio State and UCLA or whatever. And then we we're not going to say the same thing to them. We're not going to say that we're going to stay here and choose our choose Purdue over those schools when they come calling for us. So he sure sounds like somebody that, that plans to be there for a while. And I think you know they're, they're starting to build up some facilities around him. They're starting to spend a little bit of money on the on the on the infrastructure there. Uh, he's really making a big play to go into that Indianapolis area and, uh, and try to pull out some recruits because uh, they had pretty much abandoned that, uh, you know, under recent coaches. And that's, of course, that plays very well on that state because they, 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 this is a state very much like Iowa where they want to see the local guys succeed at the local universities whenever possible. Uh, but then you've also got Iowa going over in Indianapolis now and getting a mm-hmm. lot of good players too. So that's a really interesting uh, recruiting battle there. I, I do think he's. I think he'll have more success than than the Indiana coach Wilson. I do think he'll stay there. I, I can see him being there at least another five years. I mean, uh, I don't think he's going to be like Rose Bowl kind of success. So, mm-hmm. all right, Hawk Central here with the Des Moines Register on fourteen sixty KX. And oh, Keith, welcome to Hawk Central. What's on your mind? Hey guys. Hey, I, I think the Big Ten West. It will be interesting in the future now if uh, all the. Uh, all the hyperbole about uh, Scott Frost uh, proves true, and then also, as you just mentioned about uh, Purdue, you know, think about Purdue too. And I'm a big Brom fan. I don't know how long they'll keep him there. There was some mm-hmm. insinuation that maybe he considered Tennessee more than what he let on, and he almost admitted it too about where there's smoke, there's fire, which kind of sounds to me like maybe he considered that job. And I think it'll be tough to hold on to him when you, with a big name, really comes calling. Um, but the thing about Purdue is the same thing about Kansas State when Bill Snyder took over. The thing that improved right away with both those programs was the defense, even though they're both mm-hmm. offensive coaches. And that's what happened at Purdue last year, too, is uh, the yeah, defense was dramatically point. improved. And the other thing is uh, I think you're being unfair to Jim Harbaugh. You know, he took uh, a small school in San Diego, University of, and made them a bully. Mm-hmm. And it, was, it wasn't anything else but just his coaching talent. He took Stanford, one of the worst jobs in the country. I'm sure that they had other coaches turn them down before they went to Harbaugh. And he made them a national bully. And when he left there, they were almost close to the top. And he turned around the Niners. Um, and so, you know, we, I think you said uh, um, uh, use the F word, the fraud. I don't know about that because the reason why there's so much publicity about him in fanfare when he went to Ann Arbor was because of his record of accomplishment. And uh, you can't do that with mirrors. And I do agree. I think Michigan so far has been a disappointment. But they've had some very good performances, too, and, and uh, I'm going to wait to see because the way he recruits, certainly the big thing that you can look at in Ann Arbor is his uh, coaching changes he made the past year. So, obviously, he's not satisfied. So, I'm going to wait about the Jim Harbaugh story until maybe another year or two has played out. Thanks, Keith. Yeah, I, gotcha. Thank I, you. I think, too, like to go with that, I mean, valid points on that. It's just a different type of job, though. Like, I, I understand Stanford's a big job in its own way, but you don't have mm-hmm. – 
100,000 people showing up at your games who are just rabid about it. The NFL is a totally different monster. This is a – I mean, he's gotten to the point – I think this was kind of my deal on Harbaugh where, okay, it's like Denny Green and the Vikings. It's like Dan McCarney at Iowa State. It's like Tom Davis at Iowa where you've gotten to a point, and I think that fan base is ready now for him to – to step it up, and that win-loss total being eight and a half seems awfully low for year three in Jim Harbaugh. Yeah, I mean he's a guy too that I mean he has. I think he's brilliant. I mean I think the guy, the guy definitely has talent. He's charismatic. But it just seems like he wears out his welcome pretty quickly wherever he goes, and people get a little fatigued with him for whatever reason in a hurry. And, and I think it's going to happen in a bigger hurry in Ann Arbor than anywhere else. If you know, because he, he hasn't had one good year yet, really. Uh, where yeah. the other places he had success kind of right away. So that's all. I mean, I, I agree with the caller, though. I mean, yeah, obviously, I think this year is a big one. And if he goes 11-1 and one or whatever, then, then I'm wrong, and, and, and things will be fine there. But uh, I think he needs to get it done now. Mark, you wanted to hit on the Cyhawk rivalry. Let's, let's jump onto that here before I, we do a little Hawkeye baseball. Yeah, just a little curious, because uh, as you know, uh, Chris, I'm not from here. I didn't, yeah. didn't go to school here. All right. I've been here about 10 years, though. And I've covered both programs at one time or the other, again, as you know. And I'm just wondering, I, it, what brought it up was, that, you know, every time there's something on Twitter now, whatever, for either team, people just jump on and just bag on the other fan base. And it, it gets, to me, sometimes it gets kind of personal. I'm just wondering, even in the state, is it, do you think it's getting worse, The kind of the way they pick at each other, the, the Hawkeye and Cyclone fans? Yes. <laughs> and if so, why? Like, well, what? I you know, okay, there's a couple. I think there's a couple reasons. One... You know, I think back in the day, the whole like little brother thing, you know, we, which we mm. hear about all the time. In in all reality, there was probably some validity to it. Iowa State wasn't very good uh-huh. in football. Um, you were the smaller university. Um, you had smaller stadium, smaller everything. And then all of a sudden, you know, 1998 comes. Dan McCartney wins, snaps a streak. Uh, you win five in a row, and the series is pretty even since then. I think a, a few games would favor Iowa, but it's pretty even. I don't have it off the top mm-hmm. of my head. Iowa State's now the, uh, as far as attendance goes, um, scholastically, not not stadiums or anything, but it's the largest right. university, and there's more Iowa State alums in the state of Iowa than than Iowa these days. Interesting. Um, and I think that it's. Like from an Iowa State standpoint, they're fed up with being with the little brother thing, right? They're they're, they're fed up with it. They're they're sick of it. I think there's some ire there. I think Iowa fans are probably a little bit annoyed with the fact that Iowa State has you know raised its profile a little bit. And I'm not talking wins and losses. I don't want Hawkeye fans yeah. tweeting at me. Iowa has a better football program right now. I'll never deny that. Um, but I and and then on top of it. Now you have a way via Twitter for these fans to to uh, to build on that, right? Where back in the day it used to be like, oh, they're going to call Zobble and John Miller, or <laughs> you know, or they're going to call Steve Dace's radio show. Where now it's twenty four seven, and if any tiny thing happens, it's like, oh, it's May, and we don't have anything else to do, so we're going to absolutely annihilate the other fan base. And it's like, you know, it, it is it's allowed tribalism to be magnified the social media mm-hmm. it's always been there but i i think the events leading up past like 1998 to where we are now 
plus the social media. I mean, look at it as anything in the world, though, Mark. Like in politics, you know, there's yeah, always true. been a left and a right. Well, now, like, mm-hmm. you you know what your great aunt thinks because of the you know, the NRA stuff she posts on Facebook or the, right. you know, like just whatever. Like, I, I think that it's just magnified. Everything would be my really long winded analysis of it. Here's what I think. I mean, I think, uh, it seems to me that the fans are much more into this than the players themselves. When I talk to the athletes, it does seem like it's a bigger rivalry for fans than the players. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I do because Which I think weird to me. Well, I it should be the other way around if it's a rivalry. It should, um, that because this rivalry for the fan base is 365 days out of the year, though. For the players, they more they win or lose a game, and then they're moving on to the next one, right? And they ju- they're not in the same conference. They don't think about each other again yeah. until we're we're like the fans. It's like the 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 clone like fans on Twitter and the Hawk fans on Twitter, like they're jabbing. They don't even care. Like, you know, you could lose the game, but the next day, if one, if a guy gets arrested on the other team, you're going to go like crazy at that program. Right? <laughs> no, I know. I don't That's, that's a, so weird. Yeah, no, I agree with you. It's, it's fascinating. I'd love to write a book someday about like tribalism and social or social media and fan bases and rivalries. I think it'd be a fascinating thing to be able to do. Um, there's probably somebody out there who's already done that, but I don't, from where I sit and I've been in this, I've been in that pond for a long time, fortunately and unfortunately, fortunately because I still have a job, unfortunately because it can really start to weigh on you after a while, Mm -hmm. but it, yeah, I mean, back in the day, even like 10 years ago, it's like, if you wanted to like really load up and get another fan base, it's like you go onto their message board and you'd spam it. Now, I mean, right. you can tweet directly at a player if you want to. And there's a decent oh, chance know. that college kid will read it. You know, you have a few too many beers and you you do something you shouldn't. like that. Unfortunately, that happens, right? And right. I think a lot of ways the fans have made themselves, in their minds, they think they're a part of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, some fans, yeah, yeah, which is bad. Well, Not all. Me, I, to, I think it's the let's low. Let's try to uh, heal things a little bit here. Let me ask you this question. Okay. <laughs> Which uh, Hawkeye athlete or coach over the years have you admired the most, and why? I know there, I know you're not anti-Hawkeye. No, got to be people that, that you really admired in that program. Give me, give me some examples, or maybe one. Um, you know, the I think the first one for me would be Kirk Ferentz. I, I, just ah, watching from interesting. a yeah, just because you know I was around a lot when he took over, and I remember how bad things had gotten there when you know when Hayden Fry was you know, aging. And I remember that first Kirk Ferentz team and just, Mm. if you would have told me that in 2018, that that guy would still be the head coach. Cause I, everybody wanted stoops, right? Yeah. And they almost had him. Weren't they like a day away? Yeah. So like, I just remember, and I was pretty young at the time, I think like 14, but I remember like everybody being mad that Kirk Ferentz got the job, at least in my circle. And Mm -hmm. I just never thought that that guy would work because the team he was inheriting was so terrible. And not only has he done that, though, it's just I admire Kirk just from the standpoint of, you know, he's always classy. He, what he's done for that hospital is, uh, it's big mm-hmm. for me. Um, we yep. take my daughter there a couple times a year, and it's it's been a big wow. deal for our family. And, you know, I've kind of become – it's fun. Like they, they kind of know who I am there now. And 
So like when we we'll we'll put my daughter in a cyclone cheerleading outfit. And, <laughs> and, you do not. Oh yeah, because they always like will give her crap about being the little cyclone girl. It's all it's all in fun. <laughs> but like, I, gotcha. I just I think everything Kirk has meant, and he's gone through so much with like you're still winning. And you still have this giant portion of the fan base that is never satisfied, it seems like, with what he does. And I've really, he's been a guy who, I would, I would yeah, I would say that I've admired Kirk Ferentz from a, from a distance. Um, yeah. as, as far as a player goes, you know, the one guy who I really have taken a liking to was, was Chad Greenway. There's a couple reasons there. One, that he was a Minnesota Viking. <laughs> Um, I got that one. Dallas Clark is a guy who I have gotten to know a little bit through his other ventures post career. He's he would be one of my favorite Hawkeyes, and I'm trying to think on the on the basketball side. I don't know Fran McCaffrey that well. I I was really interested um, in I. I I, I just I'm not as locked in on their basketball, probably because they haven't been as good. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I like a lot of those old school guys on on the football deal. Tim Dwight was one of my all time favorite athletes when I was a kid growing up. I don't know. Does that answer your question? Yeah. It did. Yeah, that's that was very well said. That's beautiful. Oh, I, one more. Here's a good. We can all story. get along, right? Here's a good story. Um, yeah. and, and we'll, then we'll take a break and we'll do a little Hawkeye baseball. Ryan Bowen, so I, I hurt my shoulder when I was a kid, and I ended up having three sur- surgeries on my shoulder. I couldn't play basketball anymore. My art teacher at the time went to college with Ryan Bowen and was good friends mm-hmm. with him, told Ryan Bowen about me, and Ryan Bowen, he was playing in Turkey, sent me, like he became like my pen pal. Oh, wow. This is when I was in middle school, and he sent me a bunch of handwritten notes, and he would send me, like, jerseys and, like, warm-ups and stuff like that. So all-time favorite Hawkeye would be Ryan Bowen. There's a blast from the past. Have you ever met him? Not in person, no. I have not. Unbelievable. Yeah, but we... That's a great story. I've got a box somewhere with, like, probably 10 to 20 letters from him that I received during my childhood. So there you go. It's all the Twitter who thinks I'm, like, this Hawk hater. It's really not the case. You've been able to mend your reputation here a little bit. I like that. <laughs> yeah, well, probably irritating a bunch of Iowa State fans. That's okay. You can't please them all. We will talk no. some Hawkeye baseball. They had a big weekend. We'll do that next here on Hawk Central with the Des Moines Register on 1460 KXNO. It's Hawk Central from the Des Moines Register and 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back. We've got about four or five minutes to go. Uh, Mark Emmert joins me. Chad's out tonight. Ross is out tonight. We do have Dargan on the line, Mark. I'm going to let you guys talk to Hawkeye baseball because this is where I got to draw the line. I don't really follow college baseball (laughs) that much. Understood. Yeah, so I'll let you guys handle it. I'll be here. Uh, So, yeah, welcome Dargan to the program. Yeah, guys, thanks for for having me on. Appreciate it. No problem. Let's talk about that Oklahoma State series uh, last weekend. Obviously, the Hawkeyes winning two out of three. Uh, my first question is, how did that even come about? Because didn't they schedule that like in the middle of the season, just decide they're going to play each other? Well, so so the way it works is um, the Big Ten with Wisconsin not having a baseball team. Um, you know, there's thirteen that would that would leave thirteen. So um, one team in the in the conference is playing a non-conference series each weekend, um, and then it's kind of on those teams to you know schedule how hard or or how easier, you know, they wanted in terms of 
an opponent. And, and, you know, obviously Iowa, I know Rick Keller reached out to a number of programs in the preseason to kind of fill that, that non-conference weekend that they knew they were going to have at some point in the conference schedule. Um, and, you know, it kind of just shows um, a little bit of, of how much Iowa's profile is increasing that a program like Oklahoma State would um, see coming to Iowa as a beneficial trek. Um, you know, Iowa's going to go to Stillwater next year. Um, and cause, so, you know, obviously it has to be beneficial for, for a program like Oklahoma State to agree to the deal. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the gist of, of how it came together. And how important was that for Iowa to get a team like that on a schedule? How, how do they? How badly did they need that RPI boost? Yeah, it was huge. You know, it, it was kind of perfect timing as they come down the, the stretch here, um, needing a bit of a boost. Um, you know, in that RPI range, you know, it was uh, in a sense a kind of a must-win series for them, just because um, the way the schedule lines up down the stretch. Um, you know, they're playing the bottom feeders in the Big Ten, but um, right. you know that's actually going to hurt their RPI just by uh, stepping on the field with uh, against those teams just because in the RPI they are so bad. I think Northwestern and Penn State are in the 220s or the 230s. So um, it was wow. huge. You know, they, they really uh, they, they put themselves kind of behind the eight ball, uh, dropping the first game and even going back to the Missouri midweek game earlier in the week. But uh, certainly a nice rebound to, to take that series. So they're hoping for some rainouts down the stretch. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, uh, they 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 actually kind of got got a break with one uh, Western Illinois um, yeah. Yeah. last week at home. Uh, but yeah, you know, if if one or two <laughs> pops up, I, I don't think they would mind. Yeah. So what? Uh, so are they in 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 sub league tournament now? Do you think they're locked in, or or what? What do you think they are? I would I wouldn't say they're locked in. Um, I they definitely took a big step. Um, this weekend just because, um, you know, they were kind of right on the bubble and are still on the bubble, but now more so on the right side of the bubble. Um, but okay. these last two series, these last seven games, uh, the importance doesn't doesn't change at all. You know, they, they probably need, you know, they, they got to win that midweek game against Western Illinois. That's a must. And then probably go 5-1 and one, um, to feel wow. pretty good going into the Big Ten tournament against Northwestern and Penn State because, um, you know, they are only nine and seven right now in the Big Ten. Um, so, you know, the committee can, you know, look at that and, you know, that's not necessarily the best look, uh, right now to be nine and seven. But, um, you know, it, it, it works out in the sense that, uh, Northwestern and Penn State are the two worst teams in the Big Ten right now. So, um, I, so I should go five and one. Yeah. Yeah. So five, five right. and one, uh, preferably six. No, I think. You know, they feel pretty Got good it. going into Omaha. All right, boys. Great. Thanks Thank for your you time Morgan. tonight. Thanks for letting me hang out, Mark. I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, the boys will be back next week. Uh, thanks for listening tonight, everybody. So long.